0: welcome to the teamwork advantage podcast with greg gregory join us as greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork leadership and organizational culture now let's check in for this week's episode welcome to the teamwork advantage a podcast dedicated to the growth development and advancement of teamwork leadership and culture or what we like to call the TLC of business. Hi, my name is Greg Gregory, certified speaking professional and founder of teamsrock.com and, of course, the Teamwork Advantage podcast. We're really excited to have you joining us here today on the podcast because in this podcast today, we're going to do some talking about employee engagement. Now, that's going to come at us from two directions here because it's going to impact all three, really, going to impact the culture, it's going to impact the leadership, and it's going to impact the teamwork skills themselves as we really, really focus in on what really does work. Today we're joined by Kevin Campbell, and Kevin is an employee, listen to me here, employee experience scientist. That's that's really hard for me to get to the point of understanding what that is. At Qualtrics, he's also the founder of Lifted Leadership, LLC, where he coaches Fortune 500 executives on how to acquire, develop, and retain their most valuable assets, their people. And we know that. We talk about it all the time, and yet organizations still don't get it. He spent the last decade building leaders and teams for companies like Stryker, P.F. Chang's, Amazon. He's worked for Deloitte and Gallup as a consultant before founding Lifted Leadership. Kevin served as a lead people scientist for CultureAmp, where he helped organizations such as Airbnb, Palo Alto Network, ServiceNow, reinvent their uh, and optimize their performance management, employee engagement initiatives. All of these things are starting to tie in with his background. We're gonna learn a little bit more about that too. As a certified coach, he's logged well over a thousand hours of executive coaching and workshop facilitation. He makes use of a variety of assessment tools, and I love assessment tools, and feedback techniques to identify and coach high-potential, high-performance, next-generation leaders. Prior to his career uh, in the industry, Kevin received a master's degree in organizational psychology, where he stundered under Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, co-founder of Positive Psychology, and the first researcher to recognize and name the mental state of flow. Wow. A lot there. Kevin, we got a lot to do in a short period of time to do it, Ed. How are you this morning?
1: I'm doing excellent. Uh, thank you so much for that amazing introduction, Greg.
0: You know, I, the research and everything looking at it, there's a lot that you've got going on there. I mean, I see that you worked with Google, you've worked with all these other organizations, but tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are
1: with Lifted Leadership. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, in a, a previous work life, and sometimes I even talk about it like it was a past life, um, I was a, a headhunter. So uh, headhunting um, engineers for companies like Intel and Samsung, uh, mostly semiconductor engineers. Uh, and then eventually that led to me working as an internal headhunter for Google. And Google at the time uh, was considered one of the best places to work according to all the workplace lists. And when I got there, I just expected people to be walking around in a state of perpetual bliss. I was like, "This is this is great," you know. We got ping pong tables and uh, on-site gyms and all the amenities, um, but I still saw a high degree of variance in terms of how engaged people were in their work, mm-hmm. um, and that was what made me. Keenly curious about what it is that actually engages people, what it is that actually makes people happy at work, and I can tell you, it's not ping pong tables and massage chairs and napping pods. Um, and that's that's why I specifically wanted to study organizational psychology that was informed by positive psychology, the uh, the study of happiness and the study of well being, to find out what really drives employee engagement, well being, and happiness. Wait a, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said the word happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not at work to be happy. We're at work to work, right? I, I, you know, that's, that's true. And the funny thing about that is, is that when you're effective at work, you're happier. Yeah. See, that's the... the, the you what know about, I'm being
0: sarcastic. Though. I do
1: know, I do know, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to, to think about that because... You know, oftentimes we think about, you know, being strengths-based or engagement-focused is somehow different than being performance-oriented.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think, you know, when you think about the, Sean Archer puts this really well, um, there's a, a formula that we think is in play where we become successful, we become effective, and then that results in happiness. But that connection between success, performance, and happiness is a George, bi- that relationship. Yeah. You can start with being happy and have that lead to, to greater performance and effectiveness. Okay. And sometimes people don't
0: even make the connection. They don't necessarily realize that they're being effective and happy. They don't make draw the correlation there either. Yeah. So, so sorry, I cut you off there talking about your, your
1: background, getting into it, how you got to where you are. Yeah. So, yeah, I had the pleasure of, of studying under... Um, uh, me Csikszentmihalyi, we called him Mike, um, but, but he, along with Marty Seligman, were the founders of positive psychology. Um, and that's where I, I had the pleasure of, um, of learning about flow and, and engagement and what makes people happy at work. And, um, and then I, I, I kind of stayed on that positive psychology train because I, I ended up working for the Gallup organization. Uh, and, and Don Clifton, the former CEO of, of Gallup, actually used to hold positive psychology conferences in Omaha, Nebraska, where he would invite all these academics in uh, before the field of positive psychology was even founded. So I happened to just stay within that same lineage okay. of, of people interested in, in making, um, engaged in productive workplaces. And the rest is history, uh, You know, having worked with different brands on their employee experiences and using that to drive customer and business outcomes.
0: Exactly. Now, what I also found interesting, and you helped me out with this, this job title here. Okay. Yeah. You're a headhunter, so a headhunter experience background. So what is an ex- employee experience scientist? Yeah, so Those yeah. Are the
1: word, employee experience, experienced scientist, employee scientist, but I can't put all three together. That's a great question. So uh, at CultureAmp, we were called people scientists, but it's essentially the, the, the same um, uh, the same thing. So uh, if you were to think about it in terms of like a Venn diagram, okay. um, you've got organizational psychology, which is the, the academic study of psychology at work, um, which is really just the study of people. Psychology is the study of people. And then you've got data science, which, you know, I think we have an understanding of what that means. It's it's looking at different variables and how they relate to each other in terms of forming outcomes. And then you've got real practice and practical consulting. And people science and EX science sit the, at the intersection of all three of those things. Um, so it's about studying and, and, and understanding and, and not just understanding, but actually applying how to create world-class employee experiences that lead to a competitive advantage and above average customer and business outcomes, Um, but doing that in a real practical way. So getting all of this research and findings out of academia and into the real world uh, and using data and analytics, but not just finding what's the correlation or what's the relationship between these variables, but what's the story that sits underneath those variables? And how do you use that story to drive meaningful action and positive change in the workplace? I wanna get to this a little later on, but
0: don't let me forget, I wanna come back to um, the employee engagement and the science behind it and making it continue, not just what does it today, but what makes it continue. But before we get into that a little bit, I want to go down the path a little more. You got into this, this profession, if you will, something about, because uh, I was reading things that said you were more, something about personal nature. So give us your background, why you got here.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, even before my experiences at Google, um, you know, I, I grew up uh, in a pretty modest uh, circumstances. So, you know, I was, I was 10 years old. Um, when I got the call that something had happened to my mom, um, I wasn't sure what that meant or what went wrong, but I was able to, to piece things together. And and after hearing her and the other adults talk about what had happened, um, turned out she had a a nervous breakdown at work. You know, she was a a single mother working 12 to 16 hours a day to support me and my three-year-old sister. Um, And it just got to be too much. I mean, she was great at what she did, but she ended up crawling out um, of her workplace on her hands and knees, just dripping in tears from emotional, psychological, and physical exhaustion. Um, And, you know, through a series of events that, that led to us losing our home. And, you know, when I contrast that experience... With the experience of the the people that I have the pleasure of working with in Silicon Valley at these tech companies that have all these great perks, and I see that oftentimes that emotional exhaustion can happen to someone who's working a you know a middle class job like my mom was working, mm-hmm. and it happens with software engineers, principal software engineers making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, so you know I, I knew in some way I wanted to. Help people at work, uh, and initially that started off um, with headhunting because you know the idea was if I can grab people from unhappy workplaces and place them in happier workplaces, um, then that would be part of it. But uh, I, I, I continued down that thread throughout my career, um, and you know I, I just know that when we create stronger workplaces, we create stronger businesses, but also stronger families. Healthier children and, and stronger neighborhoods and communities, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the reasons
0: companies like Southwest and Wegmans and all these places in Google still to this day are very high up. I mean, Container Store, you know, are high up on the employee satisfaction list because they feel like they're part of a family in there. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's really that's really key. So let's let's talk about engagement. First off, give me your definition of employee engaged. What does it mean for an employee to be, let's talk, fully engaged, partially engaged, less than partially, and just like checked out?
1: Yeah. So, you know, fully engaged, what that looks like is if they're not part of the janitorial or custodial staff, but they're walking down the hall and they see a piece of paper that's been thrown on the ground they're gonna apply that extra discretionary effort to pick that paper up and throw it away. That's, that's what someone who's, who's fully engaged. Someone who's not engaged, they're not necessarily actively disengaged, but they're just satisfied, right? Mm-hmm. And when you think about the difference between satisfaction and engagement, it's someone who's, who's satisfied They're they're just gonna walk past that piece of paper. Whereas somebody who is actively disengaged they're probably the person that put that piece of paper on the floor in the first place uh, and so, I, I so who is the person that
0: says not my job to pick it up
1: that's you know in many ways that could that could either be actively disengaged but more often than not it's actually someone who's just satisfied someone who's just not engaged They're they're not giving that extra discretionary effort. They don't have that emotional and psychological commitment. Um, And Mm -hmm. they they don't have that that psychological and emotional connection with the workplace.
0: We've been told, of course, the the job model has changed, as I'm sure you've seen it change over the last probably two years with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But going back 15, 20, 40, 50 years, you know there were people like my father's generation they went to one place for one job for their entire career now my dad did not but a lot of folks in my dad's generation did today it's not uncommon for people to be in multiple tasks even at the same time you know with side hustles and things like that but what what's keeping them there what's the, why are people job hopping
1: today is it engagement I, I think it is engagement. There's, there's a number of different factors and it's going to be different for every organization and for every person. Um, and a big part of my work is helping organizations understand that. That the drivers of engagement are going to be different from person to person and from workplace to workplace. Okay. The, the thing that drives you to do this podcast and to do your work is is going to be slightly different. Although there's going to be common themes. We see common themes, but it's the extent to which you want to put focus on those themes. Okay. So uh, as an example, I was working with a healthcare organization, and they were always focusing on mission and purpose um, because they felt like that was going to be the driver of engagement for their nurses and healthcare staff. I also worked with a medical device organization, worked with a lot of sales reps, and they made the assumption that the driver of engagement for their staff was going to be compensation because these are salespeople. But what they discovered when they actually looked at the drivers of engagement for those two groups was that they were the exact opposite. You see these nurses, them being tied into the mission and purpose, That was universal. That's gonna be a part of wherever they happen to work. But the thing that was salient to these nurses was compensation because they're gonna find mission and purpose no matter where they go. It's a matter of what compensation they have. For the salespeople on the other hand, it wasn't compensation, it was actually mission and purpose. Because these are people who are making a great deal of money regardless of where they work. But the opportunity to really make an impact on the lives of patients was the well, differentiating factor for them. It, it,
0: it's fascinating that they were directly opposite. that That's what really caught me. Um, coming from a sales background, I understood that it wasn't necessarily the most important thing for the money. Um, but that that was absolutely fascinating. So when we look at employee engagement, it's I think it's becoming a buzzword, if you will, mm. today. And so many people are, oh, are your employees engaged? Our employee engagement survey says this. That, that, all this other stuff. What are some really key components of an
1: employee of employee engagement? Well, the key components are extra discretionary effort. So the, the willingness to go above and beyond in your work, um, you know, someone who's, who's willing to, to do something and, and make it part of their responsibility, not because they're forced to, but because they genuinely want to. Um, it's also emotional com- commitment. Um, so that idea of wanting to stay with the organization and fulfill its objectives, uh, and not about being committed just because they feel stuck or because they feel obligated, but because they feel connected. Okay. Are you noticing that being a little bit stronger
0: with uh, the millennial generation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Millennials are are much more driven by a sense of meaning and purpose. And they really want to believe in the overarching, goal beyond just make money, uh, related to the organization. I, I'm, I'm technically a millennial. Um, I'm a geriatric millennial, uh, <laughs> um, uh, part, part of the Oregon trail generation. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty wide range of people. Um, and, and that is one of the, the biggest differences, you know, Gallup did some, some really interesting research around this and they found that, uh, millennials were also much more interested in growth and development. Uh, now that might be a function of their of their age at the time of doing that research, right? Mm-hmm. If you're building your okay. career, that idea around growth and development is gonna be more important to you. Um, but I can tell you, it wasn't beanbag chairs. It wasn't lava lamps. It wasn't painting <laughs> the walls and bright colors. Um, it was really about um, having something to, to add to your work and being able to do what you do best every day and do that better. It comes back into a lot of Maslow there at that point. Absolutely. Excuse me.
0: So when we think about that, you were you were talking. I thought you said there were four things that were involved there for employee engagement.
1: Did I miss yeah, them? Th- uh, three things. So the the third I would say is um, that that psychological connection. Uh, so their pride in their organization and their willingness to recommend it to others. So that's the that's the piece where you can see a tie in around you know, great reviews on sites like Glassdoor and Indeed. Okay. Um, so intent to stay, extra discretionary effort, and uh, willingness to recommend. Those are usually the, the three things. Three that are Three big important. ones. Okay. Yeah. So when we look at employee engagement,
0: obviously, if they become disengaged, actively disengaged, one of those three things starts to misfire, I'm assuming. Is that about
1: right? It could be one of the three or all three. Okay. okay. And, and, and oftentimes it's, uh, you know, it's really helpful to measure all three because sometimes people are only measuring it using one. Okay. But that could really throw you off. If you think about it, <laughs> you know, you could have a population of people that really want to stay, but they're not willing to give their extra discretionary effort and they don't have that emotional commitment. So if you have people that are willing to stay, but they're just willing to give that minimal effort. It's not going to be great. Or you might have people that are really motivated and they have that pride in the organization, but they're not willing to stay. So uh, even within that measure, it could be all three that go down. It could be one of them. Okay. We've seen like, what is the pattern within your, your population? So when we see the
0: shift going down, is Mm -hmm. it something that we see more carte blanche across lines in the organization, or is it maybe one, obviously in one department, we can isolate the issue there, but, or is it more individual based?
1: That's a great question. Uh, and I like to think about it in terms of columns and rows. Sounds um, like an Excel spreadsheet. It's exactly right, or a heat map, <laughs> right? When you look at the heat map of your organization and you know all the different tools that are out there, including Qualtrics, we'll give you a heat map of your organization where you can see Um, Are there different hot spots or bright spots within your organization? And you'll be able to see, is there something related to learning and development in that row (laughs) where you start to see a difference for particular departments? Or is it something that's, that's going downhill across the whole organization? Is it something regarding empowerment or enablement that's just within certain departments or is it within a certain organization? So to answer your question, is it something that happens at an individual? Yes. Is it something that happens organization-wide? Yes. I would also say there's departmental level effects, Uh there's function level effects, and then there's also team level effects. And I'm biased, as I imagine you might be as well, towards that team level, because that team level is where you're gonna get the, the the most bang for your buck in most instances. Okay. Um, because it, a team can act on their own engagement results much more quickly. Yes. Than a large organization can work on the organization's engagement results. That's not to say that the leaders of the organization and that organization wide effort isn't important. It's just that it takes longer. Right. It's more systemic. Whereas it's it's team- the example
0: I used to use of a, an aircraft carrier. Can take up to an hour to make a turn where a runabout in the lake can turn around in just a couple of seconds
1: and and oftentimes it's more important and more impactful right it's like i i've worked with a lot of organizations where recognition is an area of concern you know it's a top driver of engagement but it's it's not as as high as it could be and their their go-to thing is to spend money on a huge software platform for employee recognition. And not to say that there's anything against those software platforms, but there's a process that goes into selecting a vendor and turning it on and getting people to use it where, you know, what's more impactful, a handwritten note from a team lead to an employee, a a, a sincere thank you from a customer, a sincere people recognition from a senior leader to a frontline person. And that costs $0. And you can do it within minutes of finding that it's a concern yeah
0: yeah and sharing things that they hear from customers so when a customer acknowledgement comes in making sure that gets shared with as many people in the organization that's that's a key factor so what are some companies doing today that are that is working and then are there some companies that still are missing the boat
1: that's a great question.
0: Um, so, and I want to make sure we get to assessments too, because I want to talk about that.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, that's uh, it's near and dear to my heart, um, especially, especially Clifton Strengths and StrengthsFinder, Finder, but uh, we could probably talk a lot about that. Um, so, some of the things that companies are so the standard way is typically having some sort of a survey uh, that's led by HR. And then they they create some sort of survey driven program to measure engagement, and you know leaders at the high level take action on different initiatives from a company wide level, and then they you know maybe there's a people analytics team that really digs into the the different insights, um, and all those things are good, but they're um, not enough. So when it's simply seen as a survey driven program from HR. It becomes seen as an HR thing and not a business thing. Right. Um, and when the survey becomes the focal point of what's happening, you, you stop stop thinking about what's what's what are we really measuring and thinking about here? Um, and as we mentioned, those organization-wide initiatives are important, but you really got to get down to the team level. So I like to simplify it all into ABC one, two, three. And I'll start with one, two, three, um, instructing the organization and different teams to pick one area of focus do two things about it and communicate what's been done three times through three different channels. Because sometimes organizations do way too much uh, and then they don't talk about what they've done. So one area of focus, do two things about it and communicate it three times through three different channels.
0: So it's one, two, three, three.
1: I like to just keep it <laughs> simple with one, two, three. <laughs> the, the, the important part about the channels piece, right? Is that like mm-hmm. not everybody checks their email. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or they'll
0: see an email that says something is, the, I'll just ignore that one or put it off to later. I'm
1: with you on that. Yeah, Getting yeah. it out there in multiple channels is critical. Totally. Yeah. Okay. And then the ABC piece is action oriented. So understanding that like the whole purpose of measuring this stuff is to act on it. Right, Uh, Close to 90% of organizations measure engagement in some way, but only 7% of employees say that the organization is very good at acting on it. And and to be action-oriented, really all all that simply means is to set the intention that the whole point of what we're doing is to act and improve the employee experience and employee engagement. and to ask questions that are actionable. So not just to ask engagement questions, but to ask those driver questions around certain behaviors. Okay. The B is business oriented. So, so make sure that you're tying this back to business results so that people don't feel like this is extra work on top of their work. But you're actually doing the analytics to say that, hey, when you have more engaged employees, this this improves the customer experience, which improves our bottom line to make it relevant for front level managers so that they know that what they're doing is is tied back to their business goals. And, And C is to have it be conversation oriented, not just the leaders go off into the corner or the team leader goes off into the corner and build an action plan and then presents it back to his or her team, but that you're actually having a conversation with the team around, hey, what do we want to make of this? How are we gonna work on this together? What what do we wanna do? Yeah,
0: conversation begins to build greater buy-in. 100%. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. So let's talk about assessments. Yeah. Um, Strength Finders, I think everybody's heard of that one. Uh, That's a great one. Um, I'm a big proponent of the everything DISC model for certain things that comes into play. Um, What other assessments do you recommend, do you use? Uh, as far as helping people, not so much in measure, because when we're talking about measuring, that's gotta be custom to the team or custom to the organization.
1: But what are some assessments and what are you measuring? It's a great question. Um, So I would say the right assessment is the one that you will use Mm -hmm. and act on. Right. Uh, So the one that you actually have buy-in from the organization around. Um, and there are two types of assessments, broadly speaking. Uh, and I think it's important that we don't conflate the two. Uh, forgive me for the for the pings in the background. That's fine. Um, uh, the the two types, broadly speaking, are assessments for selection and assessments for development. And some can be used across, but it's important to think intentionally and to to to. Act legally about the differences between the two.
0: Yes, for example, the Everything Disc is a great development tool that is not validated under any circumstances to be used for a hiring uh,
1: assessment tool. Same thing with Clifton Strengths, uh, aka Strengths Finder for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now Gallup also has a suite of assessments around selection that, in many ways, measure similar themes. Um, but you know, generally speaking. Um, what the research shows is there are two really valid selection instruments. Um, and there's a lot of different actual tools, but the two valid, most valid things to measure when it comes to making a hiring decision, um, across, um, all, uh, jobs and roles are cognitive ability, Mm -hmm. um, and conscientiousness. Okay. And when you look at most assessments for selection, they're measuring some flavor yeah. of those two things. And you can right. break conscientiousness down into all different kinds of-, yeah. uh, of And of- cognitive ability
0: doesn't mean you have to score off the charts in any one of them because it depends on the job that we're going towards.
1: That's absolutely right. Yeah, it, it, and one interesting thing uh, um, is that there's a, uh, and there's different, different uh, studies can, can show different things, but I've seen more than a few studies that show there's a, a small negative correlation- between cognitive ability and conscientiousness. So w- what that means is that people that are extremely high in cognitive ability-
0: They're typically gonna be low on the other. Typically gonna be
1: just a little bit lower in conscientiousness and people that are extremely high in conscientiousness are gonna be just typically a little bit lower in cognitive ability. So that rare talent is when you can find someone who has both. And it makes sense why, you know, maybe people that are, we, there's a lot of reasons why that might be the case. Maybe people that are just really brilliant know that they can get by without having to work as hard or be as organized. Uh, Or maybe people that aren't as brilliant work on being, you know, a little bit more organized, a little bit more hardworking in order to compensate, or maybe there's a little bit of both going on. Um, But when you can find someone that has that, that has enough cognitive ability uh, or maybe even a little bit of extra for the role and they're willing to work really hard. That's where you tend to find the the sweet spot across any role. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so um, and those assessments, let's
0: be clear. I want to make sure I'm on the right page here. Sure. When we're looking at assessments for hiring, they typically measure against a baseline of something in a similar position. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, there's a number of different ways to do it. And that's a gr- it's a great challenge, right? So, so sometimes um, they do it based upon a similar position that was studied at a different organization. Uh, sometimes they'll look at who are the high performers within your organization and build yep. an assessment off of that. Uh, and then one that's coming up more recently are these like synthetic instruments where they're identifying what's the future of this role and what do we know about that's,
0: that's critical in today's pandemic world too.
1: Oh, it's critical in every way. Right? I mean, so, you know, one of the, one of the big challenges is if you're building assessment based upon who's already successful within your organization, all the bias that goes into your organization is going to, going to like, going to show. That. And it's based upon what was what made people successful in the past, <laughs> so so uh, you mm-hmm. know. But it, it's a, it's more challenging to build assessments that way because you know you're you're relying on people's the the stakeholders' input on what they think is going to be successful in the future. Um, so there's there's a lot of challenges that go along with that. Um, and again, it really all goes back to whether or not you have buy-in from your hiring managers and from your HR people around that assessment. Uh, Cause there's a lot of good assessments. Um, some are better than others, but most of them are good enough. Uh, what makes the difference is the degree to which people actually use them for making hiring decisions rather than just go with their gut anyway, even though everything in the packet is telling them to go in a different direction. Yeah. You
0: said something at the very beginning and that is we could talk about this for, uh, days. And your passion, your passion for this mission here of uh, employee engagement and uh, people being involved is is so critical. We've got to make sure people are engaged. I loved your example with the Venn diagram on that. would love to get you back on here uh, down the road as we start to uh, emerge out of a pandemic and see where that starts to take us and see how things change. I would love to know more about uh, the psychology part of things. Because when you start to get into that, you start to psychoanalyze. And then that can be a little bit of a challenge as a leader. So we make sure we don't do that in, the, in ways that can harm our, um, our people. That's there have right. been some people who know what will motivate somebody, and they do just the opposite to tick them off so they'll leave. So there's all kinds of things that people do that just can hurt. Yeah. And um, I appreciate the time you've given us today. Do you have any recommendations on either books or tools or things that people can kind of pick
1: up on to learn more about this? Yeah, I I highly recommend checking out the XM Institute. Um, It's it's an organization within Qualtrics that's all about creating better experiences, better experiences for customers, better experiences for employees, and XM stands for experience management. So XM Institute- It's not the XM radio app, folks. (laughs) That's right, that's (laughs) right. (laughs) Although I love that as well. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, right. yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great base of, of, um, you know, real practical advice on how to create better experiences. And a lot of what we've talked about today is covered with, within the, the blogs and the findings and the data snippets that you'll find there. And where do they find that? Uh, you would want to go to, if you just Google XM Institute, that's probably the best way to do it. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the place so it's to- XM Institute.
0: That's right. Got it. All right, Kevin, it was fascinating here. The, the time flies by with a lot of our guests here and today was no exception. And I'm really, really grateful for the time that you've given us here today on a podcast, because let me tell you, it's people like you that really help us build and grow our audience. It helps us build and grow our teams. And that's what it's all about. Once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, our folks and listeners get ideas that they can actually implement immediately. When you look back at his Venn diagram today, his ABC one, two, three plans, those are things that can be put into place immediately when we start to think about everything until next week. Remember having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the teamwork advantage, we know that you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day till next week. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been The Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K dot com. Be sure to join Greg
1: next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on The Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.